Welcome all you good movie buddies to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie theater popcorn and other movie snacks like pie, because you can't trust those sandwiches that have been living in the vending machine for years and years and years. As always, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson, and with us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn. David... How you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. Doing good? Saw two movies this weekend. Nice. I only saw one, but I'm catching up. Yep. I did see like four last weekend. You were too busy enjoying the California I sun. I enjoyed a slight vacation amidst all of the the travel that we're doing. It's been, for those of you who've never run a podcast, it's been it's been interesting trying to find time to see movies and talk about movies just with everything that's going on with with travel for our real jobs and you got a family and I don't and and all, and all of those things. But that being said, we did take time out of our busy schedules to catch a few movies. The movie that we're talking about this week is one that's been on our radar for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, before the first trailer came out, obviously a lot of talent involved. Uh, and we're talking about Bad Times at the El Royale. And Bad Times at the El Royale comes from uh, director Drew Goddard. It's got a a pretty, it's actually got, I don't want to say it's got a murderer's row of a cast, but it has a really well-balanced cast mm-hmm. of veterans and newcomers. It's got, it's got your big hitters like your Jeff Bridges. It's got your John Hams. It's got Dakota Johnson. But then it's got newcomers like Lewis Pullman, like Cynthia uh, Erivo, uh, Kaylee Spaney is in it. Um, and then, of course, the god that is Chris Hemsworth. Is I was going to say, I think you're leaving out one there. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, I saved him for last as as he should be saved for last. But it's also got like like really interesting. Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's got really interesting like character actors from television shows like it's got nick offerman it's got shea wiggum it's got jim o'hare it's got for all of you good place uh aficionados out there um it's got uh manny jacinto in it um like it's got a ton of people in it who are if you consume enough media you know who they are um and so yeah uh i mean it's a twisty turny film it's one of those films david that you really should go in knowing as little oh, as possible. Yes, oh. I will admit this. Um, before we get into that, though, the plot of the film is set in the 60s, set in 1969. And it's uh, a handful of strangers all kind of converge on this hotel that straddles the California Nevada line and naturally each of these strangers harbors a dark secret uh, of some kind Mm -hmm. some darker than others that are all going to just come crashing together on on a stormy night at this at this shady hotel um called the El Royale and um it's one of those movies where just as the synopsis says every character has an agenda and it I have to believe because I knew what was going to happen coming into this. We we, my policy on spoilers has been well documented, and that I love them and I seek them out. Uh, but 
there are just so many twists and turns in this film that I feel that upon my final, like once the credits rolled, one of my very first thoughts was, wow, so knowing the spoilers affected that movie in this way rather than the way that I'm used to seeing and kind of took the air out of it a little bit for me. And I'm not going to blame the movie on that. I'm going to blame myself. <laughs> Good. As you should. So um, how did you, you came? You went in knowing nothing. Of course. Right. As you should. As you should. Um, um, I, I enjoyed it. Did I, you? I think... I think any good thriller should have you on edge for for most of the film. And I think other than maybe the first 20 minutes of the movie, you're kind of on edge. Definitely once you hit that like 30, 40 minute mark. Sure. There and is there is an actual moment where like like it's it's escalates it escalates it but escalates it, and then bam yeah and even before you get that bam like just the way they that um the music's done mm-hmm. the sound is done there's just this tension even though you're like i haven't been given any reason to feel any tension yet like it's been pretty normal like quiet hotel you know people checking in like all that kind of stuff good dialogue snappy dialogue but even before you get to all the drama there's just this tension even going through something as simple as checking in yeah um so i think it's a testament to the way that the film was done and and obviously we're talking about um drew goddard and this is his second film yes second directed film second directed film um, and his first being Cabin in the Woods, yeah, which, you yeah. I, which you and I are both big fans of. Big fans of. But he's been doing stuff. He's been writing. He wrote a ton for the Joss Whedon crew for Buffy, Alias, Lost. He did World War Z. He helped. Um, I think he wrote Cloverfield. Uh, he did Martian. Yep. He did the, a bunch of Daredevil. Yeah. Yep. Um, and he's supposed to be doing X-Force. It's supposed to be his next directorial movie that's the word that's that's the word although there's not many there's there's not been much of an update on that considering deadpool 2 was a borderline x-force movie anyways sure um but yeah uh drew obviously writes these uh, I, I mean i don't know other how other else to put it but just then a, a an immaculately crafted story and the same is true of The Martian. The same is true of all of the... They are very deliberate and they are very confident in the way that they are told, in the order in which they're told. Um, and it's really, really interesting. Like He's one of those guys for me. Mm-hmm. Where I'm there. Whatever he's doing, I'm interested. Uh, well, I think he brings a fresh take. Um, when they came out with Cabin in the Woods, he worked with Joss Whedon on it. Yep. Um, but they had talked about how this was going to hopefully revitalize the horror genre and and take a fresh approach to the horror genre, which I don't know ne- that it necessarily revitalized it or or was had the effect that of on that grand scale. But sure. it definitely was a unique and fresh take on a horror movie, which you and I enjoyed a whole lot. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. And so I think this one, while it wasn't necessarily something we've never seen before we've seen kind of a movie of you know 
a group of strangers all descending on the same place with all their own baggage and Absolutely. you know things not going well. It's I think the fir- I, I think the first movie that came to mind, and obviously there's a very large twist in this film, and I don't know why I always end up going to this movie, <laughs> but um, it kind of reminds me of, of Identity. Yep, which. It's a bunch of them, again, converging on a hotel. Just this time, it's all the personalities in a crazy person's Mm -hmm. head. Um, But there's a lot of things that kind of remind you of that. And so I think he brings just this unique way. And like you said, how he crafts the story and tells it, um, the way that this story is laid out and the way that he introduces each of the characters. And and the characters in this, we've got a priest – Mm-hmm. Who you see from the preview is not really a priest, I think, so that's I not think, a that's not a spoiler. I think it's safe to say that literally no one except for maybe one person is who they seem. Yeah, uh, you've got the singer. Yeah, you have the vacuum the, salesman. The vacuum salesman. Yeah, you have the girl. We'll just call her hippie girl. It the hippie, seems. the hippie badass. I don't care about anything, girl. The yep. bellman. You have the bellman, and then you have a few other wild cards thrown in there. Yeah, and and really in the beginning, you're led to believe it's just these five, basically. Right. Um, but we've been saying seven obvi- for a reason. Obviously, we know Chris Hemsworth mm-hmm. comes along at some point. Mm-hmm. If you've seen any trailers, and even if he's in it, you've looked at the credits. <laughs> he's in it. Um, and then you have the hippie girl um, yep. sister. So you end up with seven people basically here, and there's more little bit characters that sure. come along a little bit, but it's mostly about those seven. Um, and just everything that goes on. And I think it's really cool the way that um, you see each of them progress, even the way that some of the characters change yep. over the course of the movie, yep. but don't really change that much. For sure. I think I think a big part of the change in the characters isn't necessarily them as characters, but it's it's them in relationship to the story. Some characters start out as protagonists that wind up antagonists. Some characters wind up start out as antagonists that wind up as protagonists. And and that switch between aggressor and aggressee or if you really want to boil it down to bad and good shades of conversations had in this film um and i think that that's on purpose like i think i just cracked the nut of how good and evil you know or 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 bad and good or however you want to describe it is something that is is fluid and it's something that's relative based on one person's interaction with another because one person could be acting selflessly in the name of good in in their own mind and another person could be acting good in their own mind, but that will negatively affect both of them, you know? Yeah. And I that's some that's some interesting shit, especially with the conversations that are had in the film. And and again, we're not getting into spoilers here, but but yeah, I, I love that. I love how those characters change. I, I I definitely cared about them. Um, some more so than others. Uh, but they're all just so well done. They all get their own little, little moments of backstory. Mm -hmm. They're all really fleshed out. It's a really lean script with really, it's focused, you know? And, and that's the best thing that I can say about it is it is so focused 
on the story that it wants to tell with these particular characters. Despite the fact that it's two hours and 20 minutes long, there doesn't feel like there's a lot of fat on this movie. No, well, and I think being a thriller, and I come back to kind of what they did with the music and the sound, but um, to build up that tension. But I think he was very deliberate in the way that he put the movie together in that he didn't he didn't rush certain things like right. it could have been easy. You could have easily trimmed or made scenes shorter and been closer to two hours or maybe even under two hours. But I think you lose a lot of the drama and the tension that's built up through kind of the slow building, right. um, whether it be the music. And this is a scene from this uh, trailer. So it's not, Obviously, you know, people who haven't seen it don't know the context of it once you go and see the film. But even the the part where she's singing in her room. Right. Um, and clapping and clapping and all of that. It's just it just builds. And it's it's so cool to see because you don't really notice like any necessarily music in the background. Like, I don't think um, I'm trying to even think about whether there's much of a score like to this score. film. It, you know, there is. Um, it's actually, it's Giacchino. Okay. Giacchino comes in and does the score of this film, but it's one of his more restrained scores. Um, I noticed it um, with certain flashbacks. I noticed it in certain scenes of height of, of heightened tension where things got, were started getting creepier and whatnot. Yeah. But the soundtrack itself kicks ass. Like the, the music, not the, not yes. the, the Giacchino score, but the songs. Yes. Um, and they're really well, uh, organically ingrained in the film with the jukebox and with the character being a singer and all that. It, it's a really sharp job. It's, it's low key, very, very dependent on music like music mm -hmm. plays a very large role in this movie as a whole if you go back and think about it and and when you go and see it whether it be the music playing just in the hotel right um obviously we've got a singer there so there's multiple times where that comes into play yeah uh and there's subtle context in what songs are playing or what songs are being sung all yeah. those types of things um, that I think give it a really unique kind of feel to it. And like I said, it's used very much in, in just creating this tension. Um, who did you find yourself rooting for in the, the film? That's did you a, have a particular person? That's a really good question. I'll tell you, I found myself, and again, I knew the spoilers. I found myself rooting against Dakota Johnson for a while. Hmm. Um, I found myself rooting for, uh, oddly enough, the, I mean... I don't. I guess it's not oddly enough. There's nothing odd about this film. It's it's really meticulously made. But um, the singer Darlene Sweet, played by Cynthia Erivo, is fantastic, mm -hmm. and and she really is the forefront of this film. And I found myself really caring for her because she seems like the one character, you know, at, who is for the most part at face value. She's got her own secrets, of course. Sure. Um, I liked them all, man. I liked everybody in this film. I'm, I'm, Shea Wiggum, Shea Wiggum pops up for like one scene, and I was like, oh shit, Shea <laughs> Wiggum's in this movie. Um, same thing with like Offerman. Offerman pops up. He's not in this movie a lot, but it's like, oh boom, I get to watch Nick Offerman on the big <laughs> screen. And then with the smaller, you know, John Hamm shows up, and that dude 
he's just he, you could tell he's just loving what he's doing. He gets to play this snappy peppy character, and Dakota Johnson gets to play this badass, and Chris Hemsworth gets to play <laughs> this guy, this this fucking lunatic guy, and. It's amazing. I I loved everyone in it. So it's hard to say like who I was rooting for, but like especially when you get to the end and it's only a certain number of characters left and they're just like playing this mental chess game. And it's just so fun to watch. Yeah, I feel like Ham's character and um Hemsworth's character are the two most memorable performances in uh-huh. it. Um, but I got to give credit to Cynthia Erivo yep. and, and Darlene Sweet. I mean, I don't know whether that was actually her singing, but the sure. the music was fantastic. Absolutely. All the things that she sang in it and her performance in general was just so great. And I, I really liked, uh, what's his name? Uh, Louis Pullman. Louis Pullman. As did I. As Miles. Like I found myself rooting for Louis and and kind of the role of this guy who seemed to have a job that no one would want um, so, as this bellhop or yeah. or front desk person of this hotel who has to clean all the rooms, who has to check everybody in, uh-huh. who basically runs this place by himself. And uh, I I found his character definitely someone that, despite his issues, as you find out through it, you found yourself rooting for. Oh, most definitely, and and not for nothing, but. Um, Pullman, Lewis Pullman, has come relatively out of nowhere. He's done some small stuff here or there. He's had small roles. Um, he was, uh, oh God, uh, he was Steve Carell's son in Battle of the Sexes, and he's going to be in Top Gun Maverick coming okay. up. But he's relatively new, and he's phenomenal. And Cynthia Erivo is a huge um, stage star. Mm-hmm. Um, she won a Tony for, and I can't remember what the role is for, but she won a Tony in 2016 for, I think it was, oh, for the color purple, bring it, bring there it back go. around a little bit of a Spielberg connection there too. Only in that he adapted that same show, but she's big on stage and she's been all over the place on stage. And this is her year for the screen. She's in this and she's going to be in widows coming up too. Yep. And if you're wondering who she is in Widows, she's the one of the Widows who you don't recognize because it's her new. She's new. You know, yep. I could tell you who every other one of the Widows is. I was going to say. But I'm like, who's that one? Yep. She's brand new and she's amazing. Um, the cast is really overall nails everywhere. Everyone's firing. Um, in a just world, this would be, would be the kind of film that gets nominations and stuff like that. Um, although interestingly enough, the cast wasn't, this wasn't the original cast. Yeah. There's a few big changes. There's some kind of, uh, casting what ifs that we can go through here. So for sure, the, the first one being Russell Crowe was originally John Hamm's character. And I was thinking about that before we did this. And I was thinking, I just don't think it's the same character if Russell Crowe's. I don't think so either. I don't know that he can pull off the first scene that you see him in the lobby the right. same way. Right. And I think later he w- he would almost feel like his character from L.A. Confidential. Sure. Uh, sure. I think so, he plays it gr- more gruff. I think he plays yeah. it more instead of peppy. And I'm like, I'm cool guy from the 60s. Yeah, he doesn't. 
yeah, I think. Although I'd love to see him try. I, I, I mean, I think it still would have been great, but I think that character would have been different. For sure. Um, For sure. Tom Holland was rumored to have turned down a role. I can only guess that it was the role of uh, Miles. Miles. Yeah, there's no way he's not anybody but the Bellman. Yeah, there, I don't. Because that Bellman looks a lot like, like Tom, my, like, Tom They got, n- no offense to Lewis Pullman, who crushes this movie. Motherfuckers discount. Disca- discount, discount Tom, Tom Dollar, Holland Dollar right store now. Tom Holland. Yeah. Yep. No uh, disrespect. No disrespect. Um, but the other one I found really interesting was that supposedly the hope when this movie was being put together was that the the character that we've talked about, Darlene Sweet, the singer, uh-huh. um, they were hoping would be Beyonce. I mean, this Which movie, would have been super interesting. This movie makes... 150 million dollars no question if, if it's beyonce tom holland flip flip the coin on russell crowe versus john ham but this movie makes 150 million dollars i think this also and it's released in august i think this also could have low-key been a really great role for beyonce it, yeah um, to if if she has any desire to kind of launch that sort of career like an acting right uh, acting career um, this could have been a low key, like really good role for her because it's involved singing, which would allow her obviously to do something that's in her comfort zone. Yep. Um, there's definitely some intense scenes in there where she would have had to show some acting chops in there for sure. But they're not like, you know, crazy over the top. Like it isn't like a, I don't think it would have been a real difficult role, um, but listen, gave her some easy scenes to kind of show her ability. Listen, Beyonce, number one, again, no disrespect to <laughs> Cynthia, uh, whose name I'm blanking on, uh, Arriva. Arriva. Zero disrespect, okay? But Beyonce, I know you're listening right now. I know you're a good movie buddy with us, okay? You're in, your filmography is Austin Powers and Goldmember, The Fighting Temptations, The Pink Panther, Hey, Dreamgirls, Cadillac Records, what? Obsessed, What? Epic. What? Coming back with The Lion King. It's a good move. It's a good commercial move. But this is the film you take to show off your chops, Beyonce. This is the film where they put you in and now suddenly, oh, guess who else isn't being talked about for Best Actress Consideration? We got Lady Gaga over here. But now, ooh, we got Beyonce in this thriller. Man, what could have been? They could have even... If she really wanted to win, they could have played her for Best Supporting Actor, or Actress, excuse me, and then she definitely would have won the award. But (laughs) you know what? Cynthia Erivo comes in, crushes it, and I'm fine with it. Absolutely. Um, Fire your manager, Beyonce. Right. Fire Mm -hmm. your agent. Get a new agent. Box office-wise, though, granted we're one weekend in, it was was a really rough weekend for um, bad times. And you know what? I don't think I expected it to crush it, especially with the competition that it's facing. But it was it was pretty brutal. It did the round eight million. Um, I was hoping it was going to at least hit ten. I don't understand. Like, why do you think that is? If we're talking about it, it didn't make. Now, granted, it only costs about thirty million dollars to make. I honestly think it's, and this is uh, this is always the trouble with with thrillers in general. Okay, is a trailer can't give away the good good stuff. Like what you mentioned, you knew what was going to happen and you felt like, believe it or not, world, 
that it took away <laughs> from the movie. Yeah. And I think in most cases with thrillers, I would think that would be similar. Like if I go through some of the some of my favorite thrillers, like if I knew the ending, I don't know that I enjoyed as much. Sure. Um, Especially and, when they're twisty like this. And so this one that's already kind of a quirky noir film. Uh-huh. Like, can you really tell me without doing some research what this movie is about? Exactly. It's very hard to sell. The only things that you can sell a movie like this on are the vibe and the cast. And and they tried. I mean, they showed as much shirtless Chris Hemsworth in the in they the got, trailers they as got they Jeff could. They got Bridges. They got Chris Hemsworth. They got Dakota Johnson. They got. They're just missing. They're missing that Beyonce. They're missing that one thing. That is like, oh, man, because none of those people I listed off, John Hamm, Jeff Bridges, Dakota Johnson. If, if they Hemsworth, have Beyonce singing that song that they have in the trailer in the hotel dollars. room. Exactly. This is a 20 million, 25 million dollar no opening at least. And, and it does way better because it, it's a good movie. It's a good it's a it's I would even venture to say it's a great movie. Um, but. All of the cast, you're not looking at that cast, sadly. You're not looking at that cast and saying, like, oh, I'm interested in what's happening here. Mm. You know, there are certain actors out there. I mean, I mean, it's weird, but, like, when Tom Cruise does something, I'm interested. Sure. Tom Cruise has brought me back. He's gone from couch Tom Cruise <laughs> to, I'm interested in what you're doing, Tom Cruise. Bradley Cooper, what are you doing? I'm interested now. I'm interested in what you're doing. I'm interested in in the in the in the interesting choices that you're making. You know, your Damons, your DiCaprios, your Pitts. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in what you're doing. Oh, Brad Pitt's making a weird ass space movie with fucking I don't even remember who it was. I don't I don't care. I'm in. I'm there. <laughs> Brad Pitt is a weird ass space movie, you know? And unfortunately, none of these actors for through no fault of their own affect the 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 public in that way you know and unfortunately that's why i mean this is the constant struggle right this is the this is the the decree of artists in hollywood is that when you make something that is purely original like this that is something that doesn't come from an ip it doesn't have another existing property attached to it Obviously, it pulls from from other materials. It's not the first thriller with multiple characters and shady backgrounds and shit like that. But this is not a franchise. This is its one off movie. And the big fear in Hollywood is that these types of movies, these mid budgeted original pictures will die off. And an eight million dollar opening weekend is sadly evidence of that. Yeah, well, and I mean, this shouldn't be too crazy of a shock. Cabin in the Woods did 14 million came out in april okay um ended up doing a total of 42 million domestic 60 something worldwide right yeah i think somewhere around that it was and that had no 66. and that had no stars in it that was sold on being a scary movie on its own and it's easy to sell sell, sell excuse me it's easy to sell a scary movie on its people own people will go see scary movies even if there's no one in it and yeah. it looks like garbage fucking hellfest made 15 million dollars or whatever i saw that shit ain't nobody in that movie exactly you know because some people will just go to be scared but exactly. this movie when you watch the trailer it just doesn't give you an idea of why it's going to be great like right. you have to be people like us that 
you know, know who Drew Goddard is, who know, you know, these characters and read up on it and think in our mind, like, this is, sounds like a really cool idea. Right. And right. the common moviegoer is not going to do that. So. No, because it's not scary. If anything, the common moviegoer, and again, not to shit on the common moviegoer, but the common moviegoer is going to be confused by this film. The common moviegoer will be like, whoa, wait, what's happening? What's how this, this just happened and this just happened. I hate to say it, but Ma and Pa Middle America ain't going to get this fucking movie, all right? Just like some of our friends who didn't get Cabin in the Woods. Just like some good, good movie buddies who think Cabin in the Woods is a piece of garbage. They're literally factually wrong, (laughs) but, like, they just didn't get it. They didn't get the appeal. And you know what? That's fine. That it, it's okay to have your own opinion and it's okay to not get things and it's okay to not like things even though they are great and amazing and original and really, really, really well done. It's okay not to like those things. I don't like Picasso. All right? Not a fan of Picasso. That's fine. But, but when art is a money-making venture, that sucks. Yep. You know? All right. So what's so. your, what's your uh, what are you giving it popcorn-wise? All right, I am going to give this a solid four. I'm going to give this solid four popcorns. For those of you who don't know our popcorn ratings, if this is your first time listening, our popcorn ratings go as such. We have five popcorn ratings. Burnt popcorn means skip it. It's a waste of your time. Stale popcorn means you probably shouldn't spend any money on it. If you want to stream it or red box it, you'll be okay. Microwave popcorn means it's a coin toss. You'll probably enjoy yourself in the theater. You'll probably enjoy yourself at home. If, if you think it's your style of movie, you should probably check it out. Four popcorns is movie theater popcorn. That means you should definitely see it in the theaters. It's worth the experience. And then five popcorns is perfect popcorns. It's a movie that hits on every level. It's a movie that needs to see, be seen on the biggest screen. That's really well done for what it is. That hits all the buttons. And I think that this falls into that into that movie theater popcorn range. I think that um, seeing it on the big screen and knowing as little as possible is the best way to see this movie. Um, And one of the big reasons I encourage you to see it on the big screen is because you're not distracted. Turn off your fucking phone. Don't do anything. Sit there and just let the story envelop you. Just just enjoy it. So I'm giving it four popcorns. I'm giving it movie theater popcorn. What about you? I appreciate you telling people not to read spoilers before seeing I'm gonna, this. I'm going to put it out there. You're welcome. You it knew, I, you knew I couldn't let that just go by. I give it also four, four popcorns. <laughs> I I think it's definitely one just from, again, I, I keep coming back to the sound, but that's the biggest thing that I came away from this other than a couple of the performances is just how great the sound is in this movie. The sound, movie. the look, the production design. The yes. I want to go stay at that hotel. Absolutely. All, all of it was just so enjoyable and, and, and just added so much to the movie and, and to my enjoyment. And like you said, like I said, I mean, from 10 minutes in, if that, I was hooked. I'm I was in. I was dialed in. I was trying to pay really close attention because I knew there was going to be twists and things like that, knowing kind of the background. And I was fully engaged the whole time. And, and while it was two hours and 21 minutes... To me, it did not feel that long. It really didn't. Like, I, it definitely felt like, okay, this is a longer movie, but I didn't find myself 
almost any time a movie is over two hours, there's some point in the film I look at my phone just to see, okay, how much time are we dealing with here? What's I've what's seen left? You do it. Like not not from a standpoint of like this this film is bad. It's more like okay, You're like, I, I want to know like how much could really be left to go on here. Right. Um, like Which I want to like kind of fucks with you with. Like I want to know like are we about to hit the climax? Like is this sure? Like something's got to be resolved quickly. Sure. Um. So, but I didn't do that with this film, and I, and I really enjoyed it, and I think it's if you enjoy you know good thrillers, um. You know, I think you'd really you you'd really like this movie. So I think I think so as well. I think so as well. So obviously, getting any more into this would require spoilers. But before we get into spoilers, I want to encourage everybody who's listening right now to subscribe to this podcast for free on whatever device you're listening to, whatever platform you're listening from. Hit that subscribe button. Give us a rating. Give us a like. Share us with your friends, your family, other good movie buddies. We want to build that good movie buddy community, so definitely do that. Also, follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. And then last but certainly not least, you want to find all of our latest episodes, all of our latest reviews, articles, Oscar predictions, recaps, whatever, go to our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But now we're talking spoilers, David, and now we're talking kind of getting, getting into it in terms of the spoilers and I got to tell you probably one of my favorite parts about this film is the way that it's told in that Tarantino-esque okay we're going to focus on this room and then everything's going to play itself out and then bam something crazy happens right and then we're going to go to room five and I love how it has those title cards to separate you know what's happening when it's happening and those title cards actually carry all the way through the film like when you get just that one title card that just says Billy Lee, mm-hmm. I'm fucking hyped. Uh-huh. I'm so hyped because we had talked about this. Remember how we had talked about we figured Chris Hemsworth is either going to be a guy who dies at the very beginning and triggers a bunch of shit. Or I said he was going to be that constant threat that's sort of in the background until he shows up at the end. And sure. that's what he wound up being. Yep. Um, or like when even in the midst of the final, you know, the the final climax of the film it stops and hits a title card yep. so that you can see where miles has been and that really got me miles in that last bit with jeff bridges i got a little emotional sure um it was really really effective and just the way that drew goddard layers these things and is able to do it so smoothly it's just it's fucking masterful well i just think even the the boldness to to push the envelope to build this two plus hour movie up to a climax that you have in that end well not quite end scene but right end scene in there when chris hemsworth is in there they're sitting around the roulette uh table and jeff bridges makes his move yep goes after him yep and you've got darlene begging miles to help and, miles um, like, and he's like i can't anymore. kill anymore and you're like more like right okay I, mean, I know you've been managing this hotel yeah and there's been effed up things happening but yeah. you didn't say anything about killing so immediately you're like okay how's he been killing people and it lets you kind of marinate on that for a little bit it doesn't immediately jump into his it gives story it a second like you continue to see this scene transpire and you see her 
you know, plead again and then eventually say like, okay, like you don't have to. And then it goes to explaining what he meant by I can't kill anymore right, people. Right, that he was a sniper in Vietnam and he was literally surrounded by death. Yeah. And so... And then he turns into a fucking little badass. Right? Yeah, it's awesome. It's yeah. awesome. And so I think just the the uniqueness that he already... We already saw when he did Cabin in the Woods, which was crazy and all over the place. And just... Right. One of the things we loved about it was the unpredictability and how unique of a horror movie this was. Right. This one took a little bit more familiar of a feel but again i think it picked some really subtle areas to be very different like most movies you got a two plus hour movie and you finally get to that climax you're not gonna pause no the climax and say hold on a second let me explain this character and how he got here right And and if you do you come off as a prick exactly but it worked so well in this movie right and and like you said i loved how it didn't even focus on the characters' names it, it when it went to them, other than Billy Lee. It went to the room they the were room in. The room they were in. Yeah. Room five, yeah. room four, you know, those types of things. So I really enjoyed that. And those are just the unique things, again, that I think um, make Drew Goddard's movies so interesting is, right. is the way that he tells those stories. And he makes those and he makes his heroes and his villains not the people you expect. You go back to Cabin in the Woods and the main heroes of that film are the mousy girl and the stoner. And the villains of that film, theoretically, they're just two guys, two business guys doing their job. Just two two button pushers. Right. And in this film, the same thing is true is where like the crook and the mousy little bell boy wind up being the big heroes and the singer wind up being the big heroes um, and it's the FBI agent ends up being the first one to get killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that going back to I want to talk about the spoilers for a second yeah. here, because what this film does so well is it 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 slowly unveils the motivations of each character slowly but surely. Right. And you know that not everybody is right. You know that there's everybody's a questionable character. But you don't realize until later that John Hamm isn't just a weird guy. He's an FBI agent. Uh, you don't realize until later that Jeff Bridges is, uh, is a bank robber, although you fucking know it from the trailers. But particularly with Dakota Johnson's character. So there's the whole sequence where John Hamm's trying to get into a room, busts in the room, and she shotguns him. Right. Mm-hmm. And I recognize the importance of that outside of spoilers because... With spoilers, I knew that she's trying to save her sister from a cult. I knew that she thinks what she's doing is right. But I was frustrated because she just killed an FBI agent, somebody who could have been her ally, Mm -hmm. right? But if I hadn't known those spoilers, I I would be questioning her. I would be more like, oh, shit, what's this girl about? Is she super fucking dangerous and then that would have heightened the tension a little bit more of when she's in the hallway watching her sing and Jeff Bridges is hitting the floor because then because I knew her motivation. So I was kind of like, well, what's she going to fucking do? Like, she's not the bad guy. Yeah. And and I will admit that took me a little bit out of it. And it's my fault because that is masterfully done. Yeah. And, um, and that yeah. easily 
the most ten- well not maybe not easily the roulette's pretty intense yeah but that scene is so good because yeah i mean for me it became clear that maybe her motivations were conflicted yeah um because she seemed to it didn't seem like just a straight kidnapping um it seemed like she had some genuine care for this girl that she's got chained up sure. it didn't seem like it was a you know i jacked this girl you know and right. holding her at gunpoint right um it seemed like kind of like someone painted into a corner but at that same time like like you said you didn't know what she was capable of would she just straight up shoot darlene's character through that window Maybe? for fear of witnesses or yeah. people like you don't know where what she what lengths she would go true um true you don't even know what would have happened had she realized jeff bridges is in there but like i said with that drama of her singing and the clap and, and the hammer and, and her the watching hammer, and and the way it's so loud in the theater and this is another reason why you need to see yeah movies in theaters but especially one like this is like you're not going to get that effect sitting in your your house watching it on your tv like you need that right. loud bam you know on those claps and so um yeah i i definitely think and this kind of comes back to i think without jumping around too much the whole thing with the trailer about the fact that it's just so hard to sell a movie like this yeah. in a trailer yeah because i mean going into it i d- didn't read anything so even when they're checking in while i know this is going to be like a there's more to everybody than what it seems. Sure. Like I have no clue who are bad guys, who are good guys, who I should be cheering for. Like it sets you up in certain ways. Like Jeff Bridges right out the gate is kind of teased as a bad guy. Right. Um, which one could argue he is in, in some way, but one could also argue that he's not dangerous while right. he's, while he's a robber. Like he doesn't, there's not a point in that whole film where you feel like, he's a threat to Darlene sweet or to miles or any of those. Exactly. Um, you know, when he gets aggressive and when he fights, it's out of a necessity type of thing. Right. Um, Darlene's character, like you, you don't get a sense for, you know, she seems pretty straight. Like she's she's the the only only character in this seems very straightforward in the film. She doesn't, her only twist is just her background. Like, I would I would describe her even really her character as a survivor like that's yeah. that's her character in this film is the role of a survivor and that's what she does in yep. this film. But also she's like take she's taking her own charge like when she fucking back talks Billy Lee and it's just like I seen like you're just a man who's high on his own supply like you say you're thinking this one thing but we all know it's just about you and then he starts to speak again and she's just like don't I'm tired I've heard it before and it's so great it's so great Um, she's so great in this movie but you brought up a really good point which is again the way that he plays with morality in his films particularly this in Cabin in the Woods because he plays with morality very interestingly where in the cabin in the woods, he introduces these five kids 
who are murdered in varying terrible ways mm-hmm. um, by these button pushers, by this secret society. But again, that secret society is preventing the end of the world from the Goliaths or whatever. And in here, you have so many different people. You have Dakota Johnson's character, who is, I would argue, a good guy. Like, mm-hmm. she's trying to save her sister from an evil cult. Sure. You have John Hamm, who I would argue is a good guy. He's shady, but he's an FBI agent. You have people who are in the gray area. You know, Miles, you don't know what he's about. Uh, and then you have Jeff Bridges, who I would argue is a bad guy. He's a robber. He's a criminal. He's a liar. He's one who's come in under the most false pretenses. Yeah. Um, and yet he's one of the heroes of the story. Well, and I think it's even interesting the way that morality and all of that becomes relative even to the characters in this story. Sure. Like we're talking about Darlene Sweet who literally like five, ten minutes earlier thinks she's being drugged. Well, I mean, she was going to be drugged. She was about to be drugged by (laughs) Jeff Bridges' character. She knocks him out with a bottle of whiskey and or a bottle of wine whatever it was it hurt and is sitting in her car suddenly he comes up and by after about five minutes it becomes very apparent like okay i have to work with this person like i literally just knocked him out because they were going to drug me but i have to kind of put that aside for sake of survival right Um, and that's what makes those characters so interesting is because those characters are able to sit down put their shit to the side and say like Hey, listen, we we need to work together to survive. Juxtapose that with Dakota Johnson's character and sure. um, John Hamm's character, who are just blunt force, who aren't interested in talking. And you look at who survives versus who doesn't survive. Yeah. And it's the like one of the things was like if Dakota Johnson would have just let him say five fucking words, she could have help. Like I'm an FBI agent. But instead, he goes, listen, boom, he's dead, right? And what's great is that they actually sit and talk their shit out, Um, Darlene and... And uh, and obviously, if you want to get real deep, like her... Her shooting him could go back to daddy issues and, 1, and everything about not trusting men and all of those 1, types of things. One thousand percent. Growing up in that abusive household and not trusting any man to say, listen. Sure. You know, I totally get it. And that's she's absolutely justified in what, that. One of my favorite. I mean, we already talked about one of my favorite movie or uh, moments of the movie, which was the the clapping and singing scene. Yeah, um, definitely one of them. Um, but then I think you alluded to it already. But. When uh, when Miles becomes a badass and Ugh. and, and first suddenly he's just popping motherfuckers. Pops the guy, then he uh, kicks the yeah. the rifle from the ground straight up to his hands and goes out and shoots the Those. dude behind the car and the guy running off. And man, it was uh, super satisfying. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was great. It was so good. Um, and then to give him that tragic end. Where it's like all he wants is which to is, cleanse his soul. Which like. is probably the only thing I saw coming. And I think one of the coolest things about it is like it just plays into the character that Miles was in this film. And that he was just a tragic character in Absolutely. general. And so it's only fitting that he he is the only character in this movie that gets the predictable ending. Like, you know, early on when you see 
the younger sister there and you know the backstory of her stabbing right that when he goes to help her like because gonna, he cares you're gonna get stabbed that he's gonna get stabbed he yeah. just shot her love yeah quote unquote yeah and she's already been introduced that she's a bit crazy not these days cool. she's not cool and so you kind of see it coming which is not what you get the majority of the time there's no. a lot of surprise kills in this like I didn't expect John Hamm to be the first one out. To be the first one out or to not even get a word out before he got popped. Yeah. You know, I didn't expect um Dakota Johnson's character to be the first one that was killed around that roulette table, you know. I thought it would be Miles probably. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Which so. we do need to talk about. There's not a lot of things that didn't work for me in this movie. Um it, it is long. Um but other than that, not a lot of things that did not work for me. Uh, personally, I do. We have talked very little about the God, Chris Hemsworth <laughs> and how he just comes in as this, this Charles Manson, like uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just His that cult leader of the, of that era. Yeah. Yeah. He's, but the thing about those cult leaders is that they're not unattractive dudes. Like you're not going to get some like five nine, three hundred and eighty pound acne guy to follow your you and you, that guy ain't starting a cult, but Chris Hemsworth definitely could start a cult. And the way that they show him, like, all right, you two are gonna fight, uh, you two are gonna fight to be with me, just yeah. to like prove a point in his sermon. Yeah, and then him in the, I mean, he's just like a, he's just this crazy snake in in the lobby at the end. Where he's dancing around and he's just got this look in his eyes where he's like, this guy's fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, so, so good. And I love the way they use him in this movie as this like looming, like, we got to get out of here. Like, we got, we're trying to run. Zero redeeming qualities. Nope. He's an absolute piece of garbage. And when he shows up, it's great. And the way that they frame his arrival, the way that they frame a lot of things within like that El Royale. Like, yeah. again, this movie is gorgeous. It's it's absolutely good. Cinematography is great. Production design's amazing. The act, acting's great. There are very few things that didn't work for this work for me in this movie, other than I spoiled it for myself. All all in all, it feels a little slight. Like it doesn't like this movie ain't gonna change the world. Yeah, you know, just it never was designed to do that. You know, this is a good little lean mean little thriller neo noir film. Yeah. Right? And I, those are not necessarily bad things, but they are, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. And I, and I think for me, I think it was the performances that were great. It was the way that it was put together. It was the look of the film that all just made it a really enjoyable time and, it, and a movie that I would rewatch. I mean, other than the fact that it's over two hours, I probably couldn't sit down and watch it a bunch of times, but sure. it would definitely be one. It's going to be one of those rewatchable movies for me from the standpoint of if it's on TV and I happen to to see that it's on TV, uh-huh. I'll watch till the commercial break. Or, I want to watch my... I could, yeah. I could get hooked in for, for portions of this film yeah. easily because there are some really good scenes uh within this movie that are that were just fun to watch mm-hmm. and and kept you kind of on that edge. And it is one of those films, I think, too, that, you know, for your friends that enjoy movies and, and things like that, that it's, it would be fun to watch uh, with them if they haven't seen it and those types of things too, yeah, and I, see people's reaction. 
I would like to see my parents react to this movie and try to <laughs> unwrap it. Now, I want to do. I want to. I, I should have probably done this in the non-spoiler section because I want to do a different last question, and I feel like this would be something that should we should do. We could keep this semi-regular. But it's when one of the new Chris's has a movie out, could we substitute in any other Chris and would it be as good or effective? So in this, we have Chris Hemsworth playing a crazy cult leader with his shirt off most of the time or open most of the mm -hmm. time. Could Pratt play this character? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think Pratt's too much of a good old boy. He's too much of a nice guy, right? Could Evans play this character? I think he could. I don't know if I could go with him. I think he's been Captain America for too long. He'd be different. He'd be different, but he'd have his beard, and he wouldn't be the same. But I could see Chris Evans as a cult I can't, leader. I can't see can't it. see it? What about Chris yes. Pine? And I think the only reason you and I could see Chris Pine doing something like this is because he was in, like, Smoke and Aces, and he's been doing weird shit for see, a while. Chris Pine has enough, like, of that... Edge? edge to him of, okay. or even like just crazy and an ego and and kind of that demeanor to him like okay. and again i think it is a product of roles that they've played in the past but if you think about it you think of his take on kirk like there's kind of an edge to him sure. like sure. that kind of thing and you think of you know obviously having been in smoke and aces was a, a good example um <laughs> but i think there's just something about him where you could see him being a cult leader for whatever he's got the looks obviously which all right. the chris is probably you right. could argue have the looks from that standpoint but he has that that you could see him maybe it's from uh Horrible Bosses too. when he oh, plays that kind of, maybe. you know, maybe that's what influences it a little bit. Well, I think Hemsworth is is undercover hilarious. I, not so much undercover anymore because he was in like the, the vacation movie. He was in Ghostbusters. He's yeah. got this undercover comedy skill about him. I think Pratt, there's really not anything undercover about him. I think he can be the ripped hunky dude. He can be the funny guy. He can be everything. Evans comes off to me as a little bit of the theater nerd. Yeah. He comes off as a little too harmless, but Pine has got a little bit of weird in him. Yep. He's definitely yep. got a little bit of crazy in him. So, all right. I I, I got to give you some some f cool fun facts to end you here. Ooh, okay. So I we've, like this. We've, we've got a couple cool things. So, first off, one of the cool little Easter eggs in there is this whole idea of this film reel. So, we have True. We barely talked about that. The fact that they've been filming these different rooms and um we kind of find out it was used for two purposes. Like the FBI thought they were the only ones doing things, mm -hmm. but it turns out management, management. Was, was also doing something. Right. And Quote unquote there's management. this whole, there's this whole reel of, um, that miles kept because he liked the, the person that was in that room that they had him film. Right. And that he treated him nice and with respect. And so he didn't, he didn't share it with them, but it's and, never shared in the film and no one knows who it is. We don't see who it is, but we see multiple characters look at it and know that it's valuable. First is Jeff Bridges character, right. looks at it, knows it's valuable and or actually no. First one is uh, John Hamm's character. I think he goes back into the room, doesn't he? No, John Hamm's already dead. Does he never go and look at it? So just Jeff Bridges then goes in there. Right. Uh, John Hamm goes to look for the film. The film's not in the camera because, remember, the film is that's tucked right. away. That's in right. So we get Jeff Bridges who sees it. Right. 
hangs on to it because he knows it's more valuable than even the money because yep. that comes up later. Then we have Hemsworth character um, who comments about it and says that, you know, and then the girl looks at it and says, what do we care? He's dead. Right. right. And he's like, sometimes it's about the legacy more than is is more the, valuable the than legacy what of the actually, man is more valuable than the man. Yeah. So um, everybody thinks that that's referring to because of the timing of this film, JFK sure. and Marilyn Monroe. I could see that. Absolutely. Um, some other things that it plays to, obviously, you know, Colts is a big part of this. Um, uh-huh. Not necessarily based off of, um, oh, what's his name? Charles Manson. Right. Actually, they, they said what it probably draws a little bit more is um, from the reason people go Manson is because of the Tate murders, which if you remember sure. was murders in Hollywood. Um, and that sort of alluded to there are murders in that the girl did in yeah in I don't remember where El it is. Royale, uh, which was also in Hollywood. She kills okay uh, a couple in there, um, but it also kind of reminds you. I don't know if you remember this film, Children of the Corn. I do in the eighties. Yeah, um, based off of a S- Stephen King no- uh, novel in okay. which a couple is menaced by a cult of murderous children. Um, the cool thing one of the cool things i found in in doing research on this was the hotel so there was actually a hotel funny enough it seems like tahoe would be a remote enough place to do filming but they actually filmed this in canada but that that being aside the point um this hotel seems to be based off of and if you look up pictures of it it's actually pretty interesting but it was a a hotel and casino called the cal neva it's it's basically cal nevada without the da um so cal nava uh lodge and casino so it was basically built in the 60s purchased by frank sinatra dean martin and rumored to be a chicago mobster okay Um, but it was built in 1926 burned in 1937 only to be rebuilt just 30 days later um, but had lots of people, celebrities go there, like Judy Garland, Sammy Davis Jr., Lucille sure. Ball, Tony Curtis. So it was kind of a magnet, as well as the FBI reportedly suspected um, an expansion of that casino was only made possible by money lent by Jimmy Hoffa. So there's all this kind of huh. unique background to it. Um, Monroe, Marilyn Monroe, stayed at the lodge the weekend before she died. Um Ooh. And so, and even attempted suicide there before she had to be rushed to the hospital. So this, this hotel and casino had a lot of pretty unique, uh, history, but if you go and look it up, it looks very similar to the, even where the cars are parked, all of that very similar. Sure. Um, Doesn't have the dual sides for lodges on both sides, but, um, definitely something pretty interesting. I love that as well. Apparently this place has been shut down for renovation since 2013, but Larry Ellison, who is, if you know anything um, about big business, this, he's the dude behind Oracle. Like he's multi gazillionaire. Larry Ellison recently purchased the property out of bankruptcy. And now I wanted to open very, very badly because I want to go hang out here. Yeah. So, anyways, there are my unique facts. I love it, for man. For this. I love it. Well, this was a great movie. Obviously, we had a great time talking about it. I I definitely recommend everybody goes out and see it. Uh, But before we go, as always, I want to remind everybody to 
hit that subscribe button. You can get this podcast for free delivered to you every week, every new episode. Hit that subscribe button. Give us a like. Give us a rating. Share us with your friends. Follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, at The Popcorn Diet. And then, of course, go to our website, popcorndietpodcast.com, for all of our latest reviews, episodes, Oscar predictions. All the stuff we put out can be found on popcorndietpodcast.com. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson, and we'll see you next time with another good movie on the Popcorn Diet. Adios.